Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Because knowledge is so immediately accessible with Christian teaching, we can begin to think because we've watched that message or read that book or taken in that theology, which is good, by the way, I'm not saying not to do that, but because that's all available and we can take advantage of it, we can begin to think that that is sufficient for maturity. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, it's not enough to simply be taught, it must also be caught, in a sense. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We live in a digital age when solid biblical teaching is literally at our fingertips. While this is a blessing, there's an inherent danger in gaining knowledge without application. In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches us that simply reading Christian books and listening to sermons doesn't lead to spiritual maturity. Instead, we must actually apply what we learn. This requires discipleship and leadership by example from church elders and mature mentors. In other words, instruction shouldn't just be taught, it should also be caught. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message, Guides and Getting Home, from the book of Philippians, chapter three. Well, Paul is giving the Philippians here a command and then a bunch of, a bunch of stuff around that command, a bunch of reasons for and kind of fills out that command. And that command applies to us. And so the way I want to summarize the passage's kind of imperative, the passage's command is this. The passage, I think, says to us, get a good guide and get home. You want to hear this passage, you hear this, get a good guide and get home home. If you want to press on toward the goal, you're going to need a guide. You're going to need more than one guide. You're going to need to see the danger around you, and you're going to need to have the destination in view. So first section is the guides. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul is going to give what at first to us may sound like a strange command. You may think, oh, Paul is on some kind of a weird ego trip. It's like, follow me, everybody. Listen to me. Imitate me. And usually you think, okay, that's, man, that's a little self-centered. Like, ooh, Paul, let's follow Paul. No, but, but listen, the way he phrases this is, is super interesting and super important. He begins by charging them as brothers. Before he tells the Philippians to follow him or to follow the other church leaders, he reminds them that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? This is super important. Leaders in the church, either by position or by example or by godly influence, are not a separate class of Christian. Um, in Christ, every Christian has been brought into God's family. Every Christian has God as their father. Every Christian has the Savior as their Savior. We have the same access to God through Christ. We have the same spirit in us. We have the same word in front of us. And so I think it's incredibly important because we're going to make some comments about church leadership um, in this passage because Paul brings it up. But it's incredibly important for us to, to start where Paul starts. Throughout church history, oftentimes, movements where the leaders in the church were sort of pulled out and separated out from the normal people, right? So it's like, these are the spiritual people, 
the class A Christians, and everyone else is over here. And Paul doesn't see them that way at all. He, he says, brothers and sisters, before he gives this exhortation. But then he does say, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul is using the language of, of being a teacher and a follower. And this is hard for us because in our world, you can follow somebody on, on Facebook or Instagram or in an email update without much commitment at all. Like following people is a very low commitment thing in our culture. We kind of say like, oh, do you like that artist? Oh, yeah, I kind of like that artist. That's fine. Do you like that Bible teacher? Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that Bible teacher. I'm on the email update. Don't always read it. But yeah, sure, I'll follow them. There's this great meme that was going around a few, a few uh, years ago on Twitter, uh, which is a social media platform if you're not a Twitter user. And it's this great, like, painting where Jesus is sitting down with this guy. You know, Jesus looks very, like, holy, and the guy's, like, there leaning in. They're on this bench, and Jesus, and the caption is Jesus saying, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. Because in our culture, we're like, like so, yeah, like, I'll, I'm with Jesus. I'll follow Jesus. But it's very low commitment. What Paul is talking about is the ancient sort of conception of teachers and followers, right? Often in the ancient world, when you became a follower of a teacher, like a philosopher or a rabbi, you actually left your home and followed them for a time. You went where they went and slept where they slept and ate the food they ate and went around with them and you learned to imitate every part of their life. And this is probably what Paul has in mind here. Paul has a fatherly relationship with this church. He's, he's just laid out how he is trying to follow Jesus and now he says, follow me. And so the implication is explicit in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's not just trying to make followers of Paul. He's been talking about how he's following Jesus. And now he says, listen, I'm trying to follow Jesus. You follow me as I try to follow Jesus. This, friends, is the pattern of the Christian life. Jesus called his followers to be his disciples, his imitators. And then when he left, he said, go therefore and make disciples, or in this language, make imitators. So Jesus is the pattern. He's the example. But we need other Christians to help us get there. We, as a men's group, went out and bowled. And it was a blast. But one of the things you notice about bowling is, okay, look, ultimately, you're trying to do what? You're trying to knock the pins down. But how do you line up your bowling ball to get all the way? I mean, because that thing's way down there. So if you, if you bowl, maybe you do this, I don't know. But if you bowl just looking at the pins, it's like way down there and it's hard to bowl that way. That's why they give you the little lines, right? They have the little dots and they have little lines like halfway down. And, and that way, as you're swinging the bowling ball, you're kind of judging, okay, am I lined up here? Am I lined up here? Am I lined up here? Okay, and then you get home right? Then you knock down the pins. And in a sense, that is what Paul is talking about here. Ultimately, we're trying to follow Jesus, right? Ultimately, we're trying to get there. But along the way, we have people who are also trying to follow Jesus, and, and they sort of help us align our lives to go down and accomplish what we want to accomplish. And this is a pattern throughout Paul's writing and throughout the New Testament. He brings up the concept of imitating others in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, as we just saw, 2 
Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5. It is everywhere. He talks a lot about imitating others as they seek to imitate Christ. We have a unique challenge, though, as Christians in America today. And here is our unique challenge. We can look up any famous preacher and follow them. We can get any famous message. We can read any book by essentially any Christian who has ever lived. And one of the things, because knowledge is so immediately accessible with Christian teaching, we can begin to think because we've watched that message or read that book or taken in that theology, which is good, by the way, I'm not saying not to do that, but because that's all available and we can take advantage of it, we can begin to think that that is sufficient for maturity. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, it's not enough to simply be taught. It must also be caught, in a sense. Christian maturity is not just about being taught. It's about what is caught through the example of other Christians. I went through a phase as a teenager where I got excited about the Lord. The Lord is working in my heart, and I just wanted to read every Christian book that I could get my hands on, right? My dad and mom had this big library of Christian books, so I just started reading books. And man, they helped me. They really did. I grew a lot. But one of the things that happened is that I grew a lot, and I thought that I was like way over here because I'd read so many books. And I talked to other people like, hey, do you read this book? I've never read that book. And I thought, okay, good. I must be over here. Have you read this book? I haven't read that. Okay, I must be way over here then. Then the reality of my life, though, was in a disconnect from that because I wasn't faithfully following the example of other Christians. I was simply taking the knowledge of other Christians. And so one of the defining parts of my life was when I did this internship in the, at this church in the D.C. area when I was in college. And I was forced, in a good way, to be around one of the pastors of this church all the time. Um, he was the pastor that overseed the college ministry. So for an entire semester, I did ministry with this guy. He had uh, Monday night football nights at his house where we'd go over and just hang out with any of his leaders that wanted to come. And, and we'd get up at six or seven in the morning and have kind of like accountability time. And we would help him move stuff. And we got invited to like family stuff. It was just sort of getting immersed in this guy's life that revealed, man, I have some major inadequacies in my own life. I've read a book on how to resolve conflict, but that's totally different than like working this out when we're trying to do something together and I get ticked off because somebody annoys me. That's totally different than learning what it really looks like to have a prayer relationship with the Lord. I could read a book on prayer, but hearing this guy pray helped me in my example. Hearing this guy talk to unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus about Jesus, helped me realize I know a lot about Jesus. I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, listen, you need examples in the faith. We need, friends, we need to hear the Bible charge us to be peacemakers. But then we need people around us who model what it looks like to be a peacemaker. We need the Bible to tell us to be patient as parents and to raise our children up in the instruction of the Lord. But then we need friends and mentors who model it. We need to hear the Bible call us to work hard as unto the Lord, even uh, in 
non-ideal job situations, difficult job situations, but then we need to know Christians who model that for us. So here's my question. Here's the question of the passage. Do you have people that you are following as they seek to follow Christ? Do you have people in your life that you are imitating as you seek to imitate Christ? Knowledge alone is not sufficient. You need examples. You need real flesh and blood, flawed people who are trying to follow Jesus around you that you can follow as they follow Christ. And look at the way Paul says it here. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul isn't just talking about himself. He, when he says the example you have in us, he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says, keep your eyes on anybody, on those who walk according to our example. Paul just did a whole section in Philippians 2 on, on the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus. He's, he's bringing that back around and saying, listen, I want you to be like Epaphroditus, somebody who puts everything on the line, is willing to put their life on the line to advance the gospel. I want you to be like Timothy, somebody who gives up everything in his old life to serve the Lord. Keep your eyes on those kinds of people. That implies an intentional focus. Mentorship and discipleship do not happen through proximity osmosis, okay? It's like that one friend you had in in middle school or high school that tried to sleep with a textbook under their pillow, hoping hoping that something would like be absorbed as they slept through that, right? Sometimes we do the same thing with mentorship and discipleship, but like I'm around them, but Paul's saying, no, 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 it's an intentional focus. Are you paying attention? Are you asking questions? Are you, are you intentionally trying to learn from their example and follow them? Or are you just near them? See, some of you maybe right now are thinking, listen, I've tried to do this. You know, I've been around Christians and it didn't help me. Well, th- that's different than having this intentional focus of keeping your eyes on them, watching them intentionally. There's a family a few years ago who hosted our community group, and they had more kids than Jen and I did, had older kids than us, and I realized I loved going over to their house for community group. I loved being around them. It's a good dad, good mom, really just great examples in many ways, and I realized at a certain point, oh my gosh, my kids are going to be their kids' age in like three years or four years. Like their life is going to be my life. And I realized I need to probably start asking some questions. I need to probably start paying attention like to how they talk to their older kids or to how they, and so I started asking them questions like how do you organize this and how do you try to do this? And I noticed you did that. that. Why do you do that? And it was so helpful because I went from just being close to them to actually beginning to ask questions about about them and, and beginning to follow them as a parent. So this is the whole point of this section. We need good guides because Christianity and Christian maturity are not just taught, they're also caught. So as we continue, if you do one thing today, here's what I want to encourage you to do, to ask the question, who in my life is a good guide? If you don't have somebody like that, I want to encourage you to make a plan today for how you can find such a good guide. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And also want to encourage you that whatever God's invested in you, there are other people around you that you can be a good guide to that you can point them to follow Jesus. This is going to mean a few things. It's going to mean an investment of time because, listen, it is quicker to read a book on parenting 
than it is to get together every other week with another family that you're trying to follow in their parenting. That's like way messier, way more time invested. I'd rather read the book. I went to a seminar on parenting. Good. I'm good to go. Now, this is not somewhat Paul is talking about here. It means investing time. It's going to mean opening your life up. So what sometimes one of the reasons that we don't get close to people in that kind of a mentorship relationship or discipleship relationship is that we fear that they could get to know the real us, right? Right in the back of our minds, it's like, oh, well, if, they're, if we like make a deal with a family with older kids, like, hey, let's get together once a month. Like, what if the kids are having a bad day or worse, a normal day, you know? I can't like prepare them every month for a good day. What's okay? It's going to mean opening up where you're really at to get help from people, right? It's going to be messy and it's going to mean proximity over a long time. It's not going to happen in one meeting. It's going to take some time. Now, I want to just do a brief sidebar if you'll let me. So if like this is the message, we're going to like pop out over here just for a second. Is that okay? Brief sidebar because Paul is bringing up the concept of following church Leaders, And I think it's appropriate to make some comments about church leadership that I think will be helpful in helping understand how that in particular relates to this passage. So a few convictions that we have at Cross of Grace about this. Uh, First, leadership in the church is submitted leadership, okay? You never want to follow an unsubmitted leader. Leadership is, first of all, submitted to Jesus and to his word. Every one of the elders at Cross of Grace sits under this book, okay, and should sit under the authority of Jesus. We like to say that Jesus is our senior pastor. Um, Leadership in the church is submitted leadership. Leadership in the church is plural leadership. That's one of the convictions we have. Elders in the New Testament are always referred to in the plural. Um, In our culture, we often define the church's ministry around the senior leader, and it's like the senior guy plus the other guy. The New Testament doesn't do that. The New Testament says the elders, plural, of that church. And that's what we want to model and follow. Our church government is elders, plural, govern the church. Not any one elder. It's not an org chart with the CEO elder and the VP elders. No. All of us as elders are submitted to one another, and the authority and the governance of the church is rested in the plural eldership. Third, leadership in the church is servant leadership. Servant leadership. The org chart for Christian leadership is flipped. Jesus modeled this. Leaders in the church are to be Jesus-shaped leaders. Go read John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet and says, like, this is the way I want you to love one another. And those were the senior leaders of the church. They were going to become the apostles, and he was charging them to model a sort of servant leadership that was uncommon in the Roman culture, still uncommon in our culture today. Fourth, leadership in the church is imperfect. Leaders should have proven character, but they are still sinners. They are not Jesus. Uh, They should be faithful men. They should have proven character. That's one of the reasons when we appoint a new elder at the church, we ask, we have a formal process of congregational affirmation and feedback. So we get, we get out there and we, we send an email or a letter to every member of the church and say, Hey, here's this person up. Here's the passages. Do you see the presence of these things in them? Do you see the absence of these things in them? Do you see concerns about what the Bible says in them? And we want the church to be able to affirm, hey, these men do have proven character. But that being said, 
they will fail. I'm up here. I'm a leader in the church. I will fail. That is why we need the body. That's why we need accountability. This is why we need prayerful support. So expect that. Last, leadership in the church is treasured and commended by the Apostle Paul. There can be an overreaction, especially in our culture, where we shy back from treasuring and commending leaders because in our culture, sadly, there's so many examples of leaders abusing their power. And one time, what we can have, do in the church is just be like, well, we're just not going like, to encourage or, or hold up or treasure leaders because we, we don't want to feed into that. Paul is not shy about saying, look, these men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these men are outstanding. Letter after letter, Paul will commend leaders or servants in the church. So leadership in the church should not be perfect, should be as faithful as it can be, but it will not be perfect. But it should be faithful, it should be Jesus-shaped, and it should be commended. Friends, we need to end this section, though, by looking not just at human leaders, but the example of Jesus. We can't end this section without bringing the context of Philippians into this. The whole encouragement to follow men like Paul is in the context of Paul holding out the example of Jesus. See, this section starts when Paul says, have this mind of service among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he lays out what Jesus has done to humble himself, to save us, and is now being exalted by God. And Paul is saying, listen, that is the example. That is the leader. That is the guide. The reality is this, church. Our leaders will fail and falter. We will fail each other, but ultimately, we're following Jesus, and Jesus will never fail. In Jesus, God has given us a guide that will never leave us, will never forsake us, never steer us wrong, and ultimately, we follow Jesus. And we follow others who are faithfully following Jesus, but ultimately, we follow the Lord. He is the guide with a capital G. That's section one. The next two sections will be briefer, but are important. Section number two, the threat. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So there is a danger. So Paul says, listen, you need a good guide because it is dangerous out there. These enemies of the cross are, are probably not of the Judaizers that Paul was referring to earlier. This is a separate group of dangerous people. We don't have all the details about this group, but they are concerned with worldly things. They are all about their senses and their bodies. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. we had more time with you today, but sadly, that's all we have to share from Pastor Ricky's message today. However, you don't have to stop learning from the happiest book in the Bible. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in Philippians and let the joy Jesus has to give you become your go-to emotion. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other Better News Radio series, we'd like to invite you to visit betternewsradio.com. You'll even be able to subscribe to our podcast 
watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video, and download a free book. If you're searching for a church in your area, we'd also like to point you to the Church tab at betternewsradio.com. There you'll find a resource to help you locate a great community of faith that would be happy to welcome you into their family. If you're in El Paso, we'd love to have you come by Cross of Grace Church. Find directions and service times at the Church tab as well, right there online at betternewsradio.com. We know that some of our listeners today may be experiencing some difficulties in life, and we'd like to let you know that you're being prayed for regularly here at Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Thanks again for being part of our listening audience. Join us next time to keep experiencing the happiest book in the Bible, right here on Better News Radio.